This morning we're looking at Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through to 48. As I've said, it's it's a chapter with a lot in it, and it was um, fun and games, just trying to think of a suitable title, and it's probably one of the longest titles I've ever found for a sermon. Here we go. The Industry and Watchfulness of Genuine Christians. Yeah? The Industry and Watchfulness of Genuine Christians. Your attitude of heart and how you live out your born-again life as you wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to come again are what we shall be considering this morning as we look at Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through to 48. Jesus had already warned his disciples to guard their hearts against hypocrisy, covetousness and being anxious about what they shall eat and what they shall wear. In today's passage, the antidote or the remedy for those things is given. Jesus says that you are to be busy and watchful as you wait for him to come again. Look at verse 35 in Luke chapter 12. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Girding up the loins is a phrase that is used to describe preparing oneself for work by removing any hindrances. In various parts of the world where men wear long robes, the first sign that a man is in earnest about doing some hard work is when he girds up the loins. In other words, when he gathers his skirts up around him. I've seen it countless times in India where the men gather up their lungis, which are sarongs or long pieces of cloth wrapped round them. And they do that when they're about to do some work that might perhaps necessitate speedy or unrestricted movement of their legs. Also, the only sure way to move quickly and safely without going astray or stumbling, particularly when it's dark, is to proceed with lights burning, as we see in verse 35. Let's move on to verses 36 through to 40. I'll read those verses again. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. <clears throat> in verses 36 and 37, Christians who are in the service of King Jesus 
are being compared with men in the service of their master who is away at a wedding feast. It shall be good for those servants if when their master returns, he finds them watching for him. Also, there's a clear implication that if indeed their loins are girded, they will have been busy whilst waiting for their master to return. The master will reward his watchful and industrious servants by girding his own loins and sitting them down and serving them. What an honour that would be for those servants and what a show of appreciation it would be from their kind master. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus spoke about servants being faithful and he contrasted that faithfulness with slothfulness or sluggishness. When he said in chapter Matthew 25 verse 14 and 15, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man travelling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. And to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So in Matthew 25, the man hasn't gone to a wedding feast, he's gone to a far country. And he's given his servants talents to to make use of while he's away. Whilst the man was away, the first two servants gained the same amount of talents again through their industry and hard work. Whereas the servant who received one talent did nothing with it. He simply hid the talent in the ground. He buried it. The master returned and said to each of the first two servants, Well done, good and faithful servant. Whereas to the third servant he said, Wicked and slothful servant. He wasn't a faithful servant, he was a sluggish servant or a slothful servant. Instructions were then given for the slothful servant to be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. By way of application, a Christian is someone whose master used to be the prince of this world, the devil. By the way, if you're not a Christian, your master is the prince of this world, the devil. But if you're a Christian, your master is now the Lord Jesus Christ and not the devil. Praise God for that. Having been graciously saved from all his sins and having been given everlasting life, the servant of Christ girds up his loins and he is busy in his master's service, even in his absence, as opposed to being slothful. And he watches and he eagerly waits for Jesus to come again. That's something that the Apostle Paul talked about in his epistle to Titus when he said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. So this is a Christian. Jesus has gone to heaven. But even so, looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. We're not stargazers, but we look for Jesus to come again. 
But Paul didn't stop there. He said, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That's Christians. We're a peculiar people, a special people. A peculiar people, zealous of good works. All of you who made it to the Bible study last Wednesday, you'll recall that we considered those verses. Verses in which Paul talks about the Lord's people zealously doing good works. No doubt with their loins girded as they eagerly watch and wait for the glorious appearing of the great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. An incentive for all you Christians to be busy about your heavenly master's business is quite simply that Jesus is not only a good master, he is the very best, isn't he? You won't get a better master than Jesus. As can be seen in his love for you and all his servants, where can that love be seen? At the cross where he carried your sins away in his own body. Your your master, the Lord Jesus Christ, was nailed to a cross where he carried away your sins. Also, another incentive to be diligent and vigilant in your heavenly master's service can be seen in chapter in verse 40. The Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. We can all look at world events, I certainly do, look at the world events such as the war in the Middle East, the war in Ukraine and, and you name it. We can look at those things and rightly or wrongly we can um, connect them to various verses of scripture that speak of the end times. We might be right but we might be completely wrong when we make those connections. For all that, the fact remains that concerning his second coming, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. No one knows when Jesus is coming again. As a thief does not announce when he's going to come and break in and steal, neither has Jesus announced when he will come to gather up his elect to be with him. We don't know when that will happen. Even though we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that is our prayer as Christians. However, when Jesus does come again, He will grant his loved ones to sit with him in his throne and he will lead them to living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This will happen when Jesus does come again. That's plenty to be thinking about and to be looking forward to. Also, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ never loses sight of that great sacrifice 2,000 years ago at the cross where Jesus carried away the servant's sin in his own body. So he has much to look ahead to when Jesus does come again. And he does that whilst at the same time he never looks away 
from that centre cross where Jesus sacrificially laid down his life. There's something else to consider in verse 35. Let's have a look at verse 35 again. Let your loins be girded about. We've looked at that, loins being girded about. And your lights burning. The burning lights. As you run the race that is set before you on your earthly pilgrimage. And you do so with your loins girded. You can very easily go astray and stumble in this dark world of sin. With that in mind, I trust that you not only do have your loins girded, but also you have your lights burning. The two things there, your 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 loins girded for service and your lights burning. God has graciously provided all the light that you need. For one thing, God has provided the Bible, which is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Day by day, as you continue in service to King Jesus, examine everything that comes your way under the light of God's word, the Bible. It might be about how the universe came into existence. I say that because evolution is being taught and presented as fact in this wicked world, despite the word of God telling us that all things were made by Jesus and without him was not anything made that was made. Also, the word of God sheds much light on the subject of keeping pure in a world that embraces and promotes sexual immorality. Do you know, I was reading something only a few days ago. I don't know how accurate it is, but um, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know if you've noticed, but the, the West is going down the plug hole quite rapidly. And that is basically because of sexual immorality. And what I was reading, it, 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 it it says that this is the pattern throughout history and it's happening now in the West. When sexual immorality is embraced to the extent that we've done it in Britain and America and various other countries, those, those countries are finished after three generations. Everything else goes, falls apart. Because it's a whole mindset, an attitude that is not conducive to being, um, to being a healthy society. I mean, at the moment, society as a whole, it's, it's embracing, seeing nothing in particular wrong with the LGBTQI plus whatever it is now. The alphabet people. And you probably will be um, rebuked if you dare to say anything there's a reason for that Satan is at work there and it's quite deliberate that if you because you um, those who put those who embrace it and um, enshrine it in laws they're doing the work of them they're doing the loss of their father the devil it's pure evil. It is one of the big evils that we have now in our society. 
It is wrong. It contradicts the word of God. In summary, the Bible teaches that the only lawful sexual intimacy is between a man and his wife. Period. That's it. The Bible also sheds light on the sanctity of life in a world that kills babies. And when we, when we shine a light, shine that light on what's happening in this world, we see things more clearly. And how very wrong our society is. How evil society is. Indeed, how evil we are. It's when we read the scriptures that we recognise what a wretched man that I am. What a sinful person I am. I don't even begin to do the things I'm supposed to do. I don't even begin to love God in the way that I should. I can think of many things that I, 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 I place in, I put in a higher position than God in my thoughts, in my desires. I don't love my neighbour as myself, as I'm supposed to. I do when it suits me. But that's it. The, the Bible sheds light on the purity of God, his holiness. And the, the Bible also sheds light on our sinfulness. Most of all, the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the brightest of all lights. He is the son of righteousness. He is the light of the world. He that followeth him, followeth Jesus, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let's have a look at verses 41 through to 48. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. 
The Apostle Peter had listened to all that Jesus said about servants being busy, being watchful in their master's absence, and then, true to form, Peter piped, he piped up, and he said, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? In other words, Peter inquired of Jesus whom those encouragements to gird up the loins and to have lights burning whilst the master is away are intended for. Who was Jesus referring to? Jesus answers with another parable in which he focuses on the conduct of servants referred to as stewards or managers who were given responsibility for other servants during their master's absence. Jesus explains that the stewards who give the other servants their portion of food when they're supposed to are blessed. Whereas the stewards who abuse their position precisely because the master is away and delaying his return as they see it, They'll be punished to varying degrees when the master returns unannounced. With regards to those punishments, the negligent stewards who knew their master's will will be cut in pieces. Whereas the negligent stewards who knew not their master's will will be punished but less severely. They will be punished with many stripes and they shall be beaten, which would suggest that their ignorance was not absolute. The very fact that they're still going to be punished, the ones who were ignorant, it wasn't a complete ignorance. And they still deserve to be punished. In the same way, no one will be able to stand before the throne of God at the judgment, successfully pleading ignorance and trying to justify why he lived his life as though there is no God. And you know why nobody, no one in here who's not, has no interest in God, why you will not be, get away with standing before God at the judgment and saying, sorry, but I didn't know there was a God. No one told me. Why will that not wash? Well, it is that which, that which may be made known of God is manifest in all people. For God have showed it unto them. For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they and you are without excuse. What I've said there is that God has made himself very clear in the things that he's created. No excuse whatsoever. Just have to look at each other here. All fearfully and wonderfully made. We didn't just fall together, come together as a consequence of evolution or whatever nonsense is being taught now. We have a maker and he is almighty God. Also, no one will be able to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and insist that he never knew right from wrong. Sorry, Lord, but I didn't know that it was wrong to do this and to do that. It won't wash. And that is because God has written the work of his law in our hearts, all of us. 
We all have a conscience that either accuses us or else it excuses us when we do something wrong or something right. There is, I would say, a rather obvious application to church elders, including pastors. I say that because pastor actually means shepherd. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul instructed the elders at Ephesus to feed the church, in other words, to tend to the church as a shepherd. That is the calling of a pastor-shepherd. To feed or shepherd the sheep with food in due season whilst the Lord is away. That's my responsibility. That is the duty that I have been given to feed the sheep. Which is the word of God. And this parable contains encouraging words about elders who faithfully discharge their duties and fulfil their ministries. They will be blessed with privileges and greater responsibilities in the world to come. But also there are very solemn warnings about varying degrees of punishment in hell for unbelieving and unfaithful church ministers. And the very fact that these... Uh, we see these severe punishment it tells us that these men were charlatans that they weren't really Christians in the first place they were pretenders they were false teachers however this parable which was told by Jesus when Peter asked whom the Lord was speaking to about being diligent and about being vigilant with loins girded and with lights burning, has a much wider application than just being about church elders and pastors when you consider that all who are supposedly looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Saviour Jesus Christ are to be diligent and vigilant, with loins girded, with lights burning, zealous for good works. Whilst Jesus is away, whilst he is absent. With regards to being a steward and giving others their portion of meat or food in due season, although there is a clear application for church pastors and elders, it is also the solemn duty of Sunday school teachers, Christian fathers and mothers and various others who are servants of Jesus to give others their portion of meat, their portion of food in due season. It doesn't just all fall on the the pastor. Having said that, don't leave here today thinking that blessings and even your final salvation are dependent upon you diligently doing the work that has been assigned to you. And that if finally you're cast into outer darkness or cut into pieces... It will be because you were lazy in the work that the Lord assigned you and you were unkind to those whom you were in charge of, those people that you were supposed to feed the word of God to. Don't think that God is sitting in heaven watching you and and, and waiting to see if you're going to pass the test. That's not what it's about. Putting it another way, the very fact that as well as there being varying degrees of punishment in hell 
for failures as well as there being rewards in the world to come for those who are diligent and vigilant, that does not indicate that a, part, uh, that a person's final salvation hinges upon his performance in the, the work that he's been given by God. Again, God is not sitting in heaven on his throne looking down and seeing if you're going to pass the test before he makes a final decision whether to cut you into pieces uh, or, or to, to, to receive you in heaven. Rather, those who are diligent and vigilant with their loins girded and their lights burning, such as those who are faithful and wise stewards, who give the others food in due season, or if you look at Matthew chapter 25, who give those to drink who are thirsty, give them clothes when they need something to wear, visit them when they're sick or in prison. They are the genuine Christians. They are true believers who have a genuine saving faith in Jesus and his finished work of redemption, having been chosen by God unto salvation before the foundation of the world, before they were conceived, before they were born, before they ever did anything good or bad. They, they, the very fact that they are Christians, they do these things. They have their loins girded and they, they're waiting and watching for their master's return. They are not pretenders. They are people who really have been crucified with Christ and the life that they now live in the flesh, they live by faith of the Son of God who loved them and who gave himself for them. And that life is seen in the things that they do whilst they wait his return. First and foremost, they are repentant sinners saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who was wounded for their transgressions and who is their righteousness before God. By the grace of God, they have put on Christ having been baptised in Christ. Finally, is that you? Are you blessed with all spiritual blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.